We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Well, we've been going through the book of Jonah, and we're going to continue that, and, and, and hopefully uh, we won't be in it much longer. Um, I think we'll be done today. So before we get started in that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, Lord, we come to you today with a prayer of repentance, a prayer of mercy, and a prayer of grace. We come to worship you and to praise you for you are good and compassionate God. And, and Father God, as we get into this message today, I pray each one of us would keep that in mind as we look at who you are and the wonderful great mercy you've given. No matter what we've done, God, no matter where we're at, your word teaches us that you are a good and compassionate and loving God that is ready to forgive those who would repent and believe the gospel. I pray today, Lord, that you would use and empower me to preach this word, this truth, may be accurate in reflection what you would have me say. Help us, God, to come back to you, Lord, to cry out to you, God, have mercy on us as a nation, as a people, as believers. And I pray, God, that it would encourage, strengthen, and transform the people's lives here today and those listening. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, I think this will be our last message in Jonah. Uh, we've looked at this prophet now for six weeks, including today. Uh, I've preached an average of 45 minutes on each sermon. And there were six sermons where we've spent an average of about 270 minutes, which is about four and a half hours. And, and so I'm asking you the question, are you about tired of Jonah yet? Well, if you think you're tired of Jonah, I've spent a total of six weeks, averaging five days a week. And on average, I spend three hours a day studying and researching the book of Jonah. That is 15 hours a week that I put into these messages. At minimum. And so I've had a, a total of 90 hours of studying the book of Jonah, plus another four and a half for delivering it, totaling a time of 94 and a half hours. And so taking that amount and putting it into days, I've spent about four days in the book of Jonah totaling. Am I tired? Of course not. It's been a great book. We didn't even scratch the surface on Jonah. And I bet I've missed a lot of wonderful teachings throughout this book, but boy, we've gotten some good ones, at least some that have really affected my life. And as God has showed me through His Word, He's changed me in so many different ways through this book. And I hope that you've taken the teachings as well that we've looked at over the last five weeks and uh, continue as we look at it this week and apply them to your lives. Um, I hope that uh, whoever is teaching on Sunday, whether it be me or an elder or anybody else, I pray that you will take that message, apply it to your life. For we want to see change in your lives. I've seen change in many of your lives and many I haven't. 
And I know God grows different people at different times and at different speeds, and there's no hardness to that. But our hope is that God's Word transforms your life. I don't want to give you a message that's simply informational. I want to give you a message that's transformational. And so as we begin to look at this message today, I want to make sure that we apply it to our lives. I know many of you have made mistakes, and I've made mistakes. And if you're here today and you haven't made mistakes, I promise you, you will. Just ask your parents and they'll tell you. If you have, remember we worship God of mercy and of grace and of love and of compassion, slow to anger, who wishes to relent against calamity in our lives. Last week we saw that in the God we worship, we saw that He was compassionate. That He extended grace and mercy to those who repent. My hope last week was that we as a nation would repent. The American nation would turn back to God because we're going in the complete opposite direction like Jonah as a nation. And while there's many godly people, and statistically we should be a Christian nation, we seem not to be. My desire was that we begin repentance with ourselves, within your own seed and with your own life. I can't make you repent. You can't make me repent. But we have to begin that work trusting in the Holy Spirit and repenting individually. God had mercy on old Nineveh, a people known for their brutality, violence, and their wicked ways. And we're going to continue into the life of this roller coaster Christian as he begins another descend and ascent on the roller coaster of emotions. This roller coaster, if you remember, started out at a high point. He was climbing, God was working in his life, God was speaking to him, and he was steady on an incline. But when we got in the first chapter with God, we see the roller coaster beginning to change a direction. He had reached his peak. And God called him. He said, Cry out against Nineveh. And now Jonah has to sit here and really deal with this thing as, as he's on an upward descent. And now almost he can see over the peak. As he goes, You know what? I don't want nothing to do with these people. I don't want to see these people come to repentance. I don't want to see them change. And so at the realization that he had been chosen to deliver the message God wanted to do, to crowd against Nineveh, he began to descend on the emotional roller coaster. He goes down to Joppa. If you remember, he got into the boat and he went down. He kept going down and down until he laid down in the bottom of the boat. He couldn't get any further down from where he was in the boat, it seemed. But if you remember, the men said... We're going to throw you over. Why? Because you told us to throw you over. And if we throw you over, we'll be safe. And so Jonah then is cast over into the ocean. And his downward ride on the roller coaster, as you think, might end in the boat. No, it goes deeper as he sinks down to the bottom of the ocean. To the roots of the mountains, it says. And then he was swallowed up by a great fish. 
It goes down into the belly of the fish. And when, you, when the roller coaster is about as low as it can get, at this point, the pressure begins to get so hard in his life. Have you ever been on a roller coaster? And when you come down and you get down and you're right at the bottom, it begins to give you this pressure. This is Jonah. He's in the heart of it, buddy. And so, we see Jonah do something, though. We see him begin to pray. And now the roller coaster begins to, to come back up a little bit. He prays, God delivers him, and now God speaks to him for a second time, giving him another opportunity to do what he asked him to do the first time. He said, proclaim the proclamation which I will give you to Nineveh. And so Jonah does, and so he begins to ascend up the roller coaster once again. He's fully headed upward this time on the roller coaster of emotions. He's following God's directions. He proclaims a message to the great city, Nineveh. And then they respond. And God relented concerning the calamity that He had promised to Nineveh that He would do. And so Jonah's on a steady rise going up, but he's about to reach the top of his emotional roller coaster again. There's about to be a major life change in Jonah. And this downward descent that is inside of Jonah is where we pick up our passage this morning in chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. As we look at this pouting prophet, if you will, let us read Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and set east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to this city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came. The next day it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. And he begged with all of his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, 
The great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as the animals. Three things that I want you to get from this text this morning. Three points. Number one is we see the irritation of Jonah. Number two, we see the isolation of Jonah. And thirdly, we see the issue of Jonah. Remember, Nineveh has repented of their wicked ways. God has changed His mind and decided not to overthrow Nineveh as He first said He would. And so we see this God, this wonderful, good and compassionate God showing mercy and grace to these evil people. And that brings us to point number one. We see the irritation of Jonah. It says it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Now, I want to know why Jonah is angry. Next slide, please. I want to know why Jonah is angry. Here we see an evil people that were not godly, living lives of brutality, sin, wickedness, violence, and they have turned and repented. And now Jonah becomes irritated. He develops this anger with God. It was, an, it was evil to Jonah. A great evil, you could say. It's evil that God could simply let these people off of the hook. The people of Nineveh, they deserve to be punished. So Jonah thought, they've earned their calamity. And Jonah wants God to do his job. You know, hatred is an evil stronghold that many of us deal with in our daily lives. It's the very thing that is about to take Jonah down again, the emotional roller coaster. He has been down there once, and now he's looking over the edge of disaster, which his anger could carry him down to. How about you this morning? What is it that angers you today? What is it that could carry you over the edge and put you into a descending emotional roller coaster? Listen, Jonah hated these people. And his anger towards God is just not acceptable. I know people have hurt you, folks. I know that. Men and women. Mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles, husbands and wives, children and adults. Many hurts. Don't you hate these people? Pray for these people. Pray that God would change their hearts so that they would repent and turn back to God. And ask for forgiveness. Listen, as your pastor, I've been hurt with hurts that still haunt me to today. But I don't hate these people. I love these people. And I pray that God will change or has changed their hearts and that they will come to know Jesus Christ like I have. Nothing is unforgivable except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. If you have been hurt, you can be forgiven. If you've been the one that hurts, you can be forgiven. 
But not Jonah. He struggles with this. In the middle of his irritation, his anger that he has developed for the people of Nineveh, which he probably had the right to from the Neo-Assyrian time period, there was attacks on his people. He saw what these people would do. Their brutality. I don't, I don't know exactly why he had this hatred, but I know he had it. Maybe it was because God told him to say this. And when he said it, he, the realization is he could have looked like a false prophet. Why? Because what he said didn't come true. Many speculations to why he's angry. But I think he's angry because he's mad at the grace of God that he's bestowed on these people. In the middle of his anger that Jonah has towards God, we see something that we can learn a valuable lesson from. Listen, you angry people, listen to what this prophet does. He prays to the Lord. You know, getting over my anger, I had to pray. I had to pray that God would heal me, that God would give me the ability to forgive these people for what they did. And through that, He's done that. But it begins with prayer. If you're angry with someone this morning, you better pray about it. Because there is no righteous support for the anger like we see in Jonah's life right here. An anger that wishes someone or some people to get what they deserve. You've stole from me. I hope you get what you deserve, pal. You cheated on me. I hope you get what's coming to you. You did this awful thing to me or to my child. I hope you feel blank, blank, blank. You fill in the blank. You said this about me behind my back and I will never forgive you for what you did. Listen, there is no room in the soul of a Christian for this kind of anger. And when we do feel these things, we need to pray. Listen, I'm not saying you won't experience those things in life. I've experienced them. I'm a young man. Some of you are twice as old as I am. I know you've experienced them. What do you have to do? Pray. The pressure that Jonah felt the first time God called him to Nineveh caused him to run. But now he proceeds to pray instead of run. And he begins to let God know his concerns and his anger. We must be willing, folks, to pray for those who hurt us and maybe even hate us. Because I can't change them. You can't change them. Only the God of the universe can change the hearts of man. And when we realize our incapability of changing people, that's when we realize the importance of prayer. Prayer is important. We need to learn to pray. We need to pray for those who hate us and those that are in our minds enemies. Lest we... Be cast out into an emotional roller coaster like Jonah. Matthew 5.44 says this, But I say to you, 
Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Luke 6.28 Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Job 31.29 If I have rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune or gloated over the troubles that came to him, no, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life and his curse. Have you ever... Listen, as a young Christian, there was always one or two people that just lived this life of hatred, anger, and they always wanted to include other people in it. And I always wanted them to get what they deserved. Until I realized and God began to grow me closer to my relationship with Christ and I realized I can't do that. Romans 12.19 says... Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Why don't we lash out in vengeance? Because it's of the Lord's. And if we think lashing out is going to change them, it's not. It's going to make things worse. If anyone should hold a grudge, I think it should be these people in the Bible. You remember Esau? He should hold a grudge because of what Jacob did to him. How about Joseph? Shouldn't he hold a grudge as he was sold into slavery? How about David? As he was running from Saul and Saul was trying to kill him, but he wouldn't kill him. David wouldn't kill him. He had opportunity. Shouldn't he hold a grudge against Saul? How about Stephen? In the book of Acts. As he's dragged outside of the city and stoned to death. And as he's being beaten ahead with stones, he says this, Lord, hold not this sin against them. How about Paul, the Apostle Paul? As he was unsupported and deserted, he says, may it not be held against them. It's okay. I'm not going to hold a grudge. And most of all, how about our Savior Jesus Christ? Luke 23, 33-34 says this, When they came to the place of the skull, there they crucified Him. And the criminals, one on the right and one on the left, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots and divided up His garments. Listen, as we get into this message, I can't help but think the American nation just does not know what they're doing. They're, they're, has your child ever done something so foolish you think you weren't thinking, son or daughter? That's what we act like as Americans sometimes. We must pray for those who hurt us. Jonah prays and reveals his heart and his anger. And look at verse 2. It says, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in love and kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Listen, Jonah wanted to forestall the work of God that he was about to do in Nineveh. 
We can't forestall God's work. We might think we can. He knew that God was a gracious, compassionate, slow to anger. One that God that was abundant in loving kindness. One that relents in concerning calamities. Have you ever known how easy it is not to pray for those that are your enemies? Maybe I'm just the only one. Maybe I'm the only one that's had this problem. If it is, amen, God's taught me something. Just simply waiting on them to get what they deserve. Oh, you're going you're gonna to be fined out, pal. You know, that's why people gossip. Because they want, you to, they want you to know how they really are. We need to pray. It's a command. And commands are never taken easily because we are prideful people. And we want people to get what they deserve. Jonah's angry because God's mercy toward an evil people and he wants them to get what they deserve. I mean, comparing this to something in our day, we have these people whom have decided to attack us. They were successful in accomplishing this. And now we have seen the evilness that happens. We have seen their violence, their wicked ways. And maybe someone that is near and dear to you was maybe even a victim of this evil that was brought on. What's our first response? Attack. Jonah was okay with proclaiming 40 days and then it will be overthrown. But he wasn't when God had mercy. He knew something was up. That's why he ran the first time. Maybe Jonah had this idea, well, I'll go proclaim it. But I'm still hoping they're going to get overthrown. Jonah wishes with all that is in him for God to throw these people over. God didn't. And Jonah says it's better to die than to see this happen. Listen, I've never been that bad off. I've been angry, but not angry enough to die. But I guess it's possible. Because of this, therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Really, Jonah? The Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? We don't hear an answer. What we have here is a pouting prophet. He's now descending on the roller coaster of emotions. There seems to be this consistency of up and down and up and down. And it reminds me of our human life. In our walk with God, we on the peak, in the valley. On the peak, in the valley. And listen, if you're on the peak, be ready because there's a valley ahead. And if you're in the valley, praise God, there's a peak ahead. Is there someone in your life that you hate so much you'd rather die than to see them forgiven? 
There's evil things that happen to people. And we're people. We're Christians, but we're people. And evil things happen to us. Is there someone that you hate so much you'd rather, you'd rather die than to see them forgiven? Vengeance is the Lord's. Jonah knows these people and their history. Kill me, Lord, for it's better to die than to see mercy in their lives. Jonah is irritated. He's angry. He's upset. He thinks it's evil of what God is doing. And so what does he do? Point number two we see the isolation of Jonah. You know, early in my walk with God, in my relationship with the Lord, God was dealing with me on a few areas, let's say, so to speak. And there was a time when my anger and my sin would cause me to put myself in isolation from God, as if I was hiding from God. And some of you may be living in that isolation. Trying to separate yourself from your duties, from your family, from your life, your Bible, and maybe even yourself. All because you're angry at God. Now while I know there are... We see the anger of Jonah and the cause of his anger. There are many different reasons we as believers... And people can be angry with God. But placing yourself in isolation will not fix the problem. It may give you temporary satisfaction, some kind of good feeling of being by yourself, distracted from reality. But isolation always leads to devastation. When Jonah went out from the city and set east of it, there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until uh, he could see what happened in this city. That's interesting to me. And so God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head and deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God had appointed a worm. When dawn came the next day, it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so he became fate, begging with all of his soul, saying, Death is more better to me than life. If more better is even a word. Listen, don't miss the first time Jonah didn't answer God when he said, Is there a reason for you to be angry? Don't miss it. Because we as ourselves may try to do the same thing. We may try to tune out God from our lives. And just because you don't respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit that God is giving you doesn't mean He's not there. He is working things out in your lives to bring you back into a right relationship with God. 
And he's teaching Jonah a lesson. Jonah's well on his way down this emotional roller coaster and is getting faster and faster as he heads out east from the city to isolate himself from the Nineveh people. And something at this point caught my eye in observation. It says, There he made for himself shelter and sat under it in the shade until he could see what happened in the city. I mean, did, did, did Jonah think that his prayer, that his pouting, was going to change God's mind or something? I mean, as a parent, sometimes I see my own children. And sometimes I see other children as well pouting. And crying, getting all emotional for the hoped outcome of getting what they want. And so do we tell our kids, suck it up and stop pouting. Well, you might not say it exactly like that, but... Here we have a pouting prophet. He's watching this city from the East Hill to see what happens to it. Now, I'm not really sure why, why he's sitting up there and why he's watching it. But it does tell us that he's watching it sitting under a shaded area that was normally built, they called it a lean-to, it was normally built in a field to protect you from the sun while you protected your crops, your harvest. Well, I don't think that this prophet's out there protecting the harvest. I think he's out there pouting, sitting along in isolation, watching these people, maybe hoping that God would still change his mind. Now listen, this is what I thought about. Maybe he wants them to see if they truly repented. Maybe he wanted to see if they had truly changed. Isn't that what we do? <laughs> we forgive people. Of course, I forgive you, brother, sister. I love you. I forgive you. But then we want to watch them like we're God, like we know their hearts. Listen, they can look real good on the outside and still on the inside, they can be like raging wolves. We want to make sure people are truly what they claim to be. We want to be fruit inspectors. Listen, I'm not saying don't give good discernment to the walk somebody's claiming. All I'm saying is if we're truly going to forgive somebody, then we don't need to watch over them like a hawk. The truth is, I don't know what he's doing up on this hill. But he is fully descending on the roller coaster of emotions, heading in the wrong direction. And instead of staying there in Nineveh and celebrating over their repentance, he runs in isolation to pout about it. And so the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over his, Jonah's head to be shade for his discomfort, and Jonah was extremely happy about the plan. Jonah's not comfortable, he's angry, he's ticked off, and in distress, and while he may have built himself a cover to keep him protected from the shade, from the heat of the day, God appointed this plant to grow over him. Maybe not to only help him from the heat on the outside, but the heat on the inside that's boiling to the point 
of anger. It could have a double meaning in Hebrew. Listen, you can only comfort yourself so much. But God is the one who can heal you from the inside out. Throughout Jonah, we see things being personified. Personified, however you want to pronounce it. I think what they call it in the figures of speech is personification. We see the storm being humanized, being obedient to God. We see the ship, if you remember I talked about it falling apart like it was obeying God. We see the great fish, he obeys God. We see this very plant as it grows up, God appointed this plant like it was a person. And what does it do? It obeys without complaining. Everything is obeying without complaining but Jonah. And just like God appoints the plan, it seems to lift his spirits again. And so we begin to see an upward climb on the roller coaster of emotions. He's headed upward now, and it says he's extremely happy. But God, who is sovereign over all things, appoints a worm to obey him and attacks the plant, and it dies, it withers. And here Jonah goes once again, heading into the downward spiral again. He's up, and he's down, and he's up, and he's down, and he's back up, and now where's he going? Back down again. We see this as God is not finished with him. He appoints a scorching east wind. Listen, catch it. God appointed what? The plant? Now God appointed the... God is appointed throughout this whole book. And they obey Him. The winds, the plants, the boat, all of it obeys God. Yet we see this man, a man of God, whom God speaks with, wants to disobey God and pout. That means we're all capable of doing it. But God's not finished. He appoints this scorching east wind. The sun beats down on the pouting prophet's head till he's about to faint. And we begin to hear from Jonah again. He begged with all of his soul saying, Death is better to me than life. This plant brought him joy. And now God is about to teach him a lesson. You know what should have brought him joy is to see the people of Nineveh repent and turn back to God. But instead he cares more about the plant than he does the people. Listen, your isolation will only cause you to focus on yourself. Oh, poor pitiful me. If we just take the first, second chapter of verse, uh, second chapter, uh, second verse of chapter 4, we'll see like eight times he says this I said, I was my own, I fled, I knew, me, my. Me, eight times he's talking about me, myself, and I. He's not thinking about anybody else but himself. That's what isolation does. That's what it does. Oh, poor pitiful me. Listen, I understand there's a place and a time to be down. But to segregate yourself in isolation because something doesn't go your way is silly. Everything around him is obeying the Lord. 
He sees no value in life. He's angry. He's pouting. He's ready to give up his life on account of God's great mercy. What a shame. God's value on life is major. God values your life and my life so much that He made us in the image of Himself. It's been an emotional roller coaster for this prophet, but not worth dying for. Listen, the reality is if you're sitting in your seat and you think, I just want to die, it's not worth it. This prophet is missing the blessing that he brought to Nineveh in which he saw them repent. How about you? Are you on this emotional roller coaster? Up and down, up and down. Listen, God's mercy and grace can extend to anyone and everyone. And we should not isolate ourselves. No, we need to celebrate when God has mercy on our enemies. Why? Because it should be an answer to our prayers. We see the irritation, the anger of Jonah. We see this isolation which Jonah put himself into. And thirdly, we see the issue of Jonah. We've looked at what he's done this prophet, the effects of what he has done. We started in Jonah and we wanted to see the heart issue of Jonah. Why did he do these things? Yes, we want to be aware of the behavior so that when things unfold in our lives, we can say, you know what? There's a problem. The light goes off. We know we need to put oil in the car. When we start doing the things that Jonah's done, it should stop us and say, you know what, I've, this, this comes from the book of Jonah. Maybe I need to stop and evaluate what's going on. But finally, we're going to see the real problem of Jonah. Now, you probably could argue there are other real problems, but the one that I see that's consistent throughout. We'll talk about it in a minute. When then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? This time Jonah speaks to God. He says, Yes, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight, perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right difference between their right hand and left hand, as well as animals? What's Jonah's problem? I believe one of his problems is self-righteousness. What we see is a self-righteous Man. <laughs> Listen, God has had so much mercy on this man. And he just don't see that. All he can see is the evil in front of him, not the evil within him. Don't we do that? We're quick to judge somebody else while we're filled 
with evil. Do you have a good reason to be angry, Jonah? Even to death, Jonah cries. He says, I have complete justification for being angry. But God is about to teach us His problem, self-righteousness. You know, what He doesn't have is the love of God. He doesn't understand the compassion that God has showed him. He doesn't have a right. None of us have a right to be angry with God. Who are we? At what point in your life? What point in my life? What point in this life? Does the clay have the right to speak back to the potter? He's God. Whether you like it or not. And He's working things out for His glory. He had compassion on the plant. God said, For which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Jonah, you didn't plant the plant. You didn't work the plant. You didn't cause the, the plant to grow. God says, I did. You had compassion on something you didn't even create. You had compassion on something that didn't even have a soul. Yet you'd rather see people perish. You see folks listening closely. This is where I'm going to get passionate. And know that I mean this from the bottom of my heart. That God is a God of love and compassion. And I mean this in love. But listen closely. Those who are on iTunes, turn it up. Because this is something each one of us, including myself, needs to hear. When the human race begins to have more compassion for plants and animals than we do human life, we have a problem. When we start start worshiping the creation instead of the Creator, we have a problem. Jonah has more compassion on a plant than he does people. And you know what? The American culture has more compassion on plants and animals than they do stinking people. And I'm burned up inside and I don't know what to do about it. I want to beat my head against this pulpit because we're like children doing foolish things that make no sense, acting like it's no big deal. Listen, the federal government and state government spent $1,448,000,000 in $738,534 towards conserving threatening endangered species in 2010. One billion dollars. Almost one and a half billion dollars. The largest organization that I could find online received six. $6.2 million 
a year in donations, in revenue, to protect human life. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but you judge the percentage. What do we care about more? Plants and animals or people? Listen, Galatians 1.15 says this, But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace, was pleased. When does life begin, people? At conception. You want to prove me wrong? Prove it. You can't. So you take precaution and you do what's the best. Let me tell you, I've, I've saw more things on the internet this week on abortion than I've ever seen in my life. And I sat in my office in tears because what we're doing in America is wrong. And you know what? Christians are doing it. I had a different view before I became a Christian. But now that God has saved me, changed my heart, regenerated me, turned me over from a depraved mind, give me life, He's grown me and He's taught me it's an abomination. There's no excuse. It's a life that's developed by who? God, our Creator. Who's endangered here? During the Holocaust, we lost 11 to 17 million people. That's how many people were killed in the Holocaust. During World War II, over 60 million people were killed due to war. Listen closely. 1,600,000 babies are aborted in the U.S. every year. Per day, that's 4,383. Per hour, that's 183. Per minute, that's three. That means within this two and a half hours that you've been here today, there have been 450 aborted children. You don't think we have a problem in America? We worry about the most silly things as Christians in the world. While right before our very eyes, 450 children been aborted while we've been here this morning. Since Roe vs. Wade, there have been over 50 million children aborted. Listen, I don't know what to do with that. All I know is it pierces me to the very heart of my soul. What we have in America is a legalized holocaust. It's treated like a dentist office. With a pay sheet that would make you puke. I wonder how many of us really know what's, what's happening. We don't really want to know what's happening. 
because we feel helpless. But it's happening in America and the numbers are staggering when you look across the world. But some religions are getting it right. Some religions are getting it right and they value life. And let me tell you, that will be the dominant religion in America within the next 30 or 40 years if we don't do something about it. We average almost one child per family now. The Muslims, eight. You do that over 30 years, it is staggering. We have a problem. We're killing off more than we're making. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? Listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned with animals, environmental things, but when we were killing the unborn, saying they're not a life. And yet we've just spent millions of dollars to protect the children of endangered species. <laughs> Billions of dollars. we got major problems. I read yesterday Planned Parenthood's building like a 60-story building just for it in, in Texas. And we have to be very careful not to lash out in anger, but in compassion, in love, because we worship a God that is slow to anger. Obviously, He's slow to anger. He's compassionate. And He wants to relent concerning calamity. But listen, He cannot withhold judgment forever. He will not let sin go unpunished. Jonah, you should be more worried about these people than this silly plant. There are over 120,000 in this city. And really it's better translated children than it is people. And if that's the case, then there's a whole lot more than 120,000 people in Nineveh. Jonah has missed it. And many people in our today are missing it. I missed it for a long time. God has value on the human life. And all we're doing in America is a legalized holocaust. If you've never watched the video 180, you need to watch it. Go online, go on the internet, order it 180. It will give you a different appreciation for what we're doing in America. God loves us, and listen, He knew us before we were formed in the womb. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to forgive all of us. Listen, I know this is a sensitive topic for many. I understand that. but we can't let it go unnoticed. I see it here in Jonah. He's more concerned 
the plant than he is the people. At some point, the roller coaster will stop. And each one of us will have to give an account for the lives we've lived. And listen, I know life is like a roller coaster, but God knows when you're up and when you're down. And God is right there to bring you through your lowest point. He is a God that wants to forgive all that we've done foolishly in our lives. Whatever valley you're on, whatever peak you're at, He is there to guide you through. All you have to do is trust in the Lord. Don't run America. Don't think these acts are righteous acts, okay to do. They're not. They're murder. God is not blind to our murder. But God's grace covers murder. I don't know who's sitting in those seats out there. I don't know your life. I don't know your past. But all I'm telling you is this. You don't know mine either, but I'm here to tell you God is a God of mercy and grace who will forgive everything you've ever done if you will simply trust in Him. If you've sinned, God will forgive you and restore you with a joy in Christ. Simply if you confessed trust in the Lord. Let us pray.